Speech by Margaret Bonfield. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hannah Dowell. Speech given to the House of Commons on the 21st of January, 1924, by Miss Margaret Bonfield, MP. I feel I must apologise for intervening in this battle of the giants. I am certainly suffering under the depression of the funeral dirge on the right honourable member for Paisley, Mr. Asquith, to which we have just listened. The points on which I wish to address this house have very little to do with these intellectual scintillations, but they have a great deal to do with the suffering that is going on in this country at the present time amongst the unemployed women. Unemployment amongst women, I recognise, is only a small part of a very large problem, but at the same time, those of us who have to face these unemployed women day after day realise that for the unemployed women it is the most vital question before the country. And my criticism of the government is that, in this small problem, there was much that could have been done to mitigate the lot of women, with very little expense, but with a certain amount of administrative common sense, and they have consistently refused to do that little. We have round about a quarter of a million women who have been unemployed during the last three years. The number has varied from time to time, but some of them have been almost continuously unemployed. There were things that could have been done, extensions of schemes that were already in operation. But what is the record of the government? In 1921, by dint of great pressure from the Central Committee on Women's Employment, backed up by the Trade Union Congress, and by large bodies of entirely non-political public opinion, we succeeded in getting a grant of £50,000 allocated to the Central Committee. In 1922, we secured, after tremendous pressure and agitation, which ought to have been entirely unnecessary, another grant of £50,000. At the end of December, the Central Committee had spent, from the funds at its disposal, £150,000. The first £50,000 from the Government was conditional on the Central Committee providing £2 to every £1 of the Government. The second was conditional upon the Central Committee putting £1 to every £1 of the Government. With the United Fund, we have succeeded in passing through various classes about 15,500 people. There are, at present, not more than 1,000 persons in the training classes, and the last returns show that there are still 250,000 unemployed women, many of whom are again facing a black winter. These small grants were given conditional upon certain training schemes being confined entirely to the development and supply of domestic servants. I am not quarrelling with the necessity for securing domestic work training. I heartily welcome the report published by the Committee of Inquiry into the conditions of domestic service. It is a sane and practical report, which has faced facts and realised that there is a curious psychological situation that has to be met, as well as merely a shortage of labour. The recommendations in the report show a grasp of the whole problem which I hope a future government will take into account. But the Central Committee could have enormously extended the classes for what we call the homemakers. We were not permitted to have any money at all for that category, which would have been so helpful in great areas like Lancashire and Nottingham, Cradley Heath and elsewhere. 
we have a certain number of classes there, and we have been able to help a certain number of women. But this has had to be done entirely out of the funds raised voluntarily and controlled by the Central Committee on Women's Unemployment. The war made an enormous difference to the position of women in this respect. I do not think honourable members realise quite what it means today, for example, to be in the clothing trades, compared with what it was fifteen years ago. In the clothing trades, mass production has developed enormously, and the war accentuated that development. Power machines are the rule rather than the exception, and the specialisation of processes has gone on to such an extent that women who have devoted years to the clothing trade are now in the position of an option of doing only a thirtieth or, or even an eightieth a part of a garment. And they are kept at that task. Here is a great avenue for helpfulness. The unemployed women in the clothing trade could have been helped by the immediate development of technical classes under the education authorities, where they could learn at least to be able to visualise the processes of a whole garment, and go back to the labour market with a knowledge of more than one of the eighty or more processes in the making up of clothes. That would strengthen the efficiency of the labour supply in the clothing trade, and would be an enormous advantage, not only to the individual, but to the general efficiency of the clothing trade as a whole. There are other categories of workers in regard to whom there is room for government action. There are women in clerical work, many of whom were brought into government departments during the war. Of necessity, I do not complain. Vast numbers of women were put to do work of a certain elementary kind that did not give them the necessary training or experience to enable them to continue clerical work at the end of the war. These women, above all others, require opportunities for developing technical and general knowledge. In their case, classes could have been formed at very little cost. Such classes would have helped to keep up the morale and strengthen the efficiency of the women. Above all, probably, criticism ought to be directed against the government administration in regard to their handling of the juvenile question. Boys and girls alike have been at the mercy of a world into which they were turned out of schools with no place in industry ready to receive them on boys and girls in the most formative years of their lives, when their characters were influenced by environment, there could have been nothing but a disintegrating and deteriorating effect. Here, too, with a little coordination between the Ministry of Labour and the Ministry of Education, and any other department that could have been useful in the matter, surely it might have been possible to build up not merely an enormous extension of continuation classwork, but some opportunities might have been given to the cleverer amongst the children, to qualify for better and more extended opportunities of service to the State. We feel that the absence of any coordinated effort to deal with the juvenile unemployment will go down as one of the gravest marks against the administration of the government. I must say a word with regard to inspection. It is very important that we should make laws, and that those laws should be good. But they are useless if they are not administered properly. In connection with the legislation that has grown up in the twentieth century, inspection has been a vital part of the completion of the law. Take the whole of the ramifications under the Trade Boards Act. The underlying principle enabled the organised workers to work with the organised employers to get something like a basic rate, filling in the morass of the sweated industries and getting some sort of firm foundation on which afterwards, by united action, the workers could be maintained and the standard of life raised. 
we had many employers who welcomed the coming of the trade boards because they recognized that those who desired to deal justly with their people were being saved from a particularly mean and unfair kind of competition but the success of the trade boards depends upon the enforcement of their awards and the enforcement is the business of the inspectors what has happened in the trade board department we have given to the cave commission again and again evidence from the department itself that the staff of inspectors was totally inadequate to deal with the vast problems connected with the trade board inspection we had the humiliating situation last year when there was a flagrant case of violation in connection with the tailoring trade board rate it was not the fault of the inspectors but the government department decided that the thing was too difficult and that it was not possible to conduct a prosecution if they had to deal with a log rate so the union took up the matter instead the union won and got an award it was proved beyond a doubt that it was possible to estimate whether or not the workers were receiving less than the trade board's rate the mischief of the lack of inspection lies in the steady undermining of respect for the law when that law has been entered into by both employers and workers these protective laws are in the interests not merely of the individual concerned but of the whole community if we are to advance we want more of that kind of legislation but we must insist that when we have got it it should be fully operative we want therefore a very large extension of the inspectorate is it not ironical that in the very year when factory inspection is a subject of international inquiry when the government sends its representatives to geneva to consider recommendations and covenants laying down the basis of an international system of factory inspections at a time when the whole world has had its attention directed to the british system of factory inspection many of us are proud of the record which our inspectors have laid down for it is a fine tradition and i had the opportunity in geneva of meeting inspectors from different countries of the world and they explained that they were anxious to follow the British method and to develop the British system in their respective countries. Is it not ironical that in the year when this has happened, we find a niggledy policy adopted by the government which has crippled, hampered and brought sometimes into disrepute the very system of which we should be so proud? It is a matter of deep regret that these administrative details have been allowed to escape the attention of the government, because it did not feel the importance of the matter. That is one reason why I am very glad that honourable members on this side of the House are going to take office. It is not a matter of statistics or of dialectics, but of safeguarding what has been won by tremendous effort and sacrifice on the part of those who are dead and gone. If I am not regarded as impertinent in the first weeks of my membership of this House, I would say that the speech of the honourable member for Barrow, Mr. D. G. Somerville, brought vividly to my mind a conversation that I had after the 1922 election with the right honourable gentleman who lately represented Northampton. He said that for him an election was a mental rescue. I am bound to say, after the speech of the honourable member for Barrow, that I felt his mental rescue had not yet been completed. I am astounded that the right honourable gentleman who last addressed the House should still imagine that the country has rejected socialism. I am a socialist of thirty years' standing, and today am a more convinced socialist than ever I was. 
every general election appears to bring out a larger assortment of entirely imaginary evils based upon entirely imaginary facts produced by members of the party opposite it is surely time that we should have perfectly clear-cut divisions here i echo very cordially the sentiments expressed by the honourable member for the english universities sir m conway with regard to the intellectual differences goodness me there will always be enough of them to keep us busy and alive and to provide a subject for debate in the house of commons there are and will be fundamental differences why then let us waste the time of the country and of the house by discussing things that have no reality discussing possible evils that nobody really believes will ever come to pass let us get right down to the fundamental differences between those who believe that certain industries will be better under public control than under private control and those who do not believe that can ever come that is a real difference an understandable difference an intelligible difference and i am quite sure this country is debating that difference end of speech recording by hannah dowell